Greg King is the CEO of Osprey Funds. The Osprey Bitcoin Trust is the lowest priced publicly traded Bitcoin found in the U.S. Greg and Joe discuss the importance of protecting your Bitcoin investments and how Osprey Funds can help with that. They also discuss the benefits of placing your Bitcoin investments in your IRA to maximize your tax savings. Greg gives his opinion on the future of the crypto market and why it's important to know when to pivot. Let's just get right down to business. Joe Robert Show. This, this is the Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. Hello, Greg. Welcome to the show. Why don't you start by giving us a brief background about yourself? Sure. Great to be here. Background about myself. I guess I uh, started as, as a Wall Street guy in equity derivatives of Barclays in London. And that taught me a lot, uh, to make a long story short, about how the capital markets work and uh, what really drives flows uh, you know, on a global basis. In 05, I moved to the US and started working in the New York office for Barclays. And that started a progression into exchange-traded funds, where I built a number of exchange-traded funds and uh, launched them for Barclays and a number of other companies. I started my first company four years later in 2009. And in 2015, started my second company, RexShares, and just uh, just rolled out the third, Osprey Funds. So one of the biggest Quick questions question. in crypto is, how, how did you stumble upon it or you know, what led you into, the, into crypto? Yeah, uh, crypto, I, I remember very specifically, I was at a conference and I was learning about ETFs, had nothing to do with crypto, actually. And I think it was on my phone, you know, just looking at news articles and came across Bitcoin. And at the time, I was pretty interested in, or I, actually, I was pretty dissatisfied with gold and silver because I'd been buying a bunch after, you know, all the money printing in 2008, 2009, uh, 2010. And it really wasn't doing what, it, what it's supposed to do in my portfolio. So I uh, 2013, uh, found out about Bitcoin, bought a couple of Bitcoin, and that started this whole process for me. I guess it's been eight years. And so now you guys, you started originally with Rex Shares, is that correct? Yeah, Rex Shares is uh, the company I founded five years ago. Okay. And we originally pursued a Bitcoin ETF with Rex Shares specifically. And then I created Osprey Funds really to separate the brands and create a, a, a digital asset only investment company, which was wholly owned by Rex until just this month. And we've spun it out as a standalone company going forward. Now, are they separately managed now or are you responsible? I'm responsible for both companies still, but the teams are separate. So yeah, they are separately managed. And so what is, I guess, Rex shares kind of moving forward? What does that company do? So Rex shares was, was a, really a continuation of everything I'd done to date, which effectively is um, building asset management products using exchange traded wrappers, but focusing on alternative asset classes, because that's, that's really my background. It's in derivatives and it's in commodities. And that's how I got my start. So it, it's kind of like everything away from stocks and bonds, the plain vanilla 60, 40 stuff. Lots of people doing that. You know, we've thrown <laughs> out a lot of value there. So we were always focused on the weird stuff, you know, commodities, volatility. I did a bunch of VIX products. And so crypto kind of fits right in. But Rexshare's going forward will be all of that, X crypto. Okay. So for example, the, the biggest product we have is a leveraged product that gives exposure to top 10 stocks, including the FANG stocks, Facebook, Apple, you know, Amazon, Netflix, Google. 
uh, and a few others. So definitely interesting products. It's just nothing to do with crypto. So we we decided to separate the two. It just makes a lot more sense. Once you, you know we you figure out that crypto is its own world, really. It's it's its own asset class, its own universe. Uh, yeah, I feel, I feel like most crypto investors solely invest in crypto until they get late in the cycle. And then they start talking about how they're going to time the top and exit and need to go into something else yeah. during the bear market. And that's when maybe stocks pop up. But otherwise, a lot of crypto investors typically don't mention stocks as much. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I do think there's, there's a, a happy medium. It's not like I have 100% of my portfolio in crypto. But yeah, those of us who used to kind of live in the stock world and now live more in the crypto world, it's like, I really don't want to go back. Yeah, you know? <laughs> So much more interesting here. Lots more to learn and do. So when it comes to the Osprey funds, uh, does it solely only have a Bitcoin trust at this time? At this time, yeah. That's, okay. that's, that's our first, first product, flagship product, you know, makes the most sense to come out with Bitcoin first. We have a number of things in the pipeline, though. We're not stopping there. That's for sure. And now based on, you know, what's kind of your opinion on the Bitcoin price action over the last 12 months and, you know, where it's at right now? So, yeah, just under 60K right now and, you know, crossed the all-time high, what, end of November, right? So that's been three, four months. I mean, the way we look at it, if you look at Bitcoin historically, uh, after an all-time high like that persists for a thousand days or so and then gets, you know, decisively crossed, there's only been uh, three or four of those instances in the past. And typically, on average, you'll see a 900% rally. So basically, Bitcoin goes up an order of magnitude after, after one of those all-time highs gets put in. And then don't forget, after those corrections, right? Because that 20,000 high you know, was followed by a, whatever it was, $3,500 low, right? So once that whole cycle has turned through, Bitcoin historically goes up in order of magnitude. So that's kind of what we see ourselves in right now. And, the, you know, the last month or so has been some consolidation between 50 and 60,000. But I think that's that's perfectly fine and healthy. I, I think we're in the middle of a, of a bull leg here. And are you in agreement with everybody else kind of as a, a store of value at this time? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the 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 main use case for Bitcoin that's emerged. I know it's it's possible to be used for for other things, but, and, and perhaps that isn't quite what Satoshi originally intended, but I think that that's emerged as a viable problem that needs to be solved. And, you know, uh, I remember, you know, Steve Jobs used to say that people, people don't know what their problems are and until I give them the solution for it. Right. <laughs> so I'm not sure everyone realized, Oh, we've got a problem. We don't have a global digital currency. That's, that's, you know, not fiat and finite in number. And now we do, and people are realizing, oh, hey, that's actually a good, uh, good thing we have that. So when people come to you to invest in the trust and they ask, you know, how do we value Bitcoin? What's your opinion there? You know, that is a tough one. Obviously, they're not cash flows uh, that, um, that are being spit out of Bitcoin to the holders anyway, maybe some to the miners. But, you know, I think there's a lot of different uh, approaches. Uh, the one that's the easiest for, for me to explain and to, for folks to conceptualize is, is the analogy to gold. You know, you've got a $10 trillion market cap, roughly speaking, on gold. You have $1 trillion on Bitcoin. At least for the next, you know, little bit, it's, a, it's about uh, Bitcoin pulling even with gold, you know. And I, I think that those of us that are long and, and um, believers in Bitcoin can, can see that happening. You know, I, I, I see people talking about, Bitcoin eclipsing the size of gold and getting many times bigger. 
And I think that's possible. But as a first step, you know, I, it's easier to conceptualize uh, Bitcoin pulling even with gold in terms of its market cap as the, you know, as the twin brother, but fraternal twins, you know, not. <laughs> so do you, do you think that uh, the discussion is more around Bitcoin and gold or Bitcoin versus gold? It depends on who you ask. I mean, there's <laughs> definitely the Bitcoin versus gold. I, you know, I'm not, I, I don't know. I, nothing wrong with gold you know gold's existed for thousands of years i own gold it's not uh, i'm not a gold hater i just think that uh you know i well i don't actually have a landline anymore i was going to say i used to have a landline <laughs> but i have a, a cell phone too but i don't actually got rid of it but it's you know gold still has a place in the in the world's you know financial system so to me it's not about bitcoin versus gold it's about bitcoin and gold and then over time just kind of let let the chips fall where they may there's there's definitely pros and cons. Bitcoin though, once once I did sort of sit down and analyze its features as they relate to what constitutes, you know, a, a sound money or the best store of value. I mean, it does have some pretty impressive features that, you know, that gold doesn't have, right? And gold is has been uh, the best sound money instrument that we've ever had. So when you when you look at it that way, it's like hmm. Yeah, maybe we are onto something here. So you guys set up the Osprey Bitcoin Trust for people to have access to a Bitcoin product. And can you start with maybe why someone would buy the Osprey Fund versus Spot BTC? Yeah, it's really about constraints and it's really about packaging. I mean, we all have uh, different ways that we hold our assets. You might have some cash in your pocket. Uh, you might have some credit cards in your wallet. You might have a checkbook lying around somewhere, you might have a brokerage statement. And these are all pockets of cash that we have, right? And what we find and what we know is that the majority of savings that's not held, you know, in a savings account or CD or something, wealth that's held for retirement purposes is held in, in your standard brokerage accounts and IRAs, you know, that's $30 trillion or some number along those lines in the US. And those assets are not necessarily going to leave the system, just go online, open up a wallet and buy some crypto. You can have both. It's okay to have both. I have both, you know, I have wallets, various wallets. I have, um, you know, ledgers and little devices, but I also have funds that I hold that they give me exposure to crypto. And I can do that within the uh, convenience of my brokerage account, my IRA for tax benefits. And also my advisor can, can manage that, uh, that holding as it relates to my overall portfolio. Uh, because these things, you know, these investments, if they're sizable, you definitely don't want to make them in isolation. Right. You want to make them in the context of your overall strategy for retirement or whatever it is you're trying to do with your portfolio. So it's really about creating a vehicle that can be delivered into that account. And so in that sense, you need, uh, well, you don't, strictly speaking, have to have, but it's better if you have a ticker-based product, a product in the U.S. That, that, that can be traded through a brokerage account. And how do, how do investors currently get access to the trust? There's two ways. So w where we are in the U.S. regulatory environment is the SEC has not approved uh, a Bitcoin ETF yet. So what you have are uh, these trusts, which incidentally, a Bitcoin ETF would be the exact same legal structure. It would simply be most likely a grantor trust based in Delaware holding physical Bitcoin. That's the structure that that uh, that they use, that State Street uses for a gold, you know, their gold fund. 
et cetera. So it's not about the legal structure changing. It's really about some of the permissions, like having a redemption feature, allowing for market making and offering shares publicly that haven't been allowed yet. So for the moment, the way that the trust works is we offer shares directly to the public, but that's to accredited investors only. So higher net worth individuals, although those standards have been lowered recently. So a lot of people in the finance industry, for example, can qualify, whereas they, they may not have previously met the uh, income or net worth requirements. Um, so those investors can come to us directly at, at the website, ospreyfunds.io and subscribe right there. It's digital, uh, you know, DocuSign process. We try and make it as easy as possible. And they, they get shares of the trust at the NAV. Comes with restrictions, not made up by us, but just the regulatory environment is uh, you, you need to hold for one year and then those are available to be resold if, if the person chooses. Secondly, you see our fund trading under the ticker OBTC. And those are those secondary market shares. So this fund is actually over two years old. And we have um, investors who've held already for the, for the required time period, and they are able to sell under that ticker symbol. And really, that's just a convenience so that you don't have to um, you know, move papers around manually. You can just use the ticker symbol and interact through brokerage accounts. People who buy those shares from, from our original investors uh, may be coming in for the first time. They don't have that one-year holding period. They can just buy those shares in, in their account. So if you're, if you're able to do that, by your broker. Some brokers allow this, some brokers don't. We know that uh, Fidelity and Schwab and some of the discount brokers do. Then those people uh, buy those shares from original holders. Now, one of the pieces here that people have to be care careful of is those shares trade at whatever price those two parties agree, right? And it may not have anything to do with it, with the actual net assets in the fund. We don't control that price. It's just basically supply and demand in the secondary market. So currently, who are those... Uh exact type of buyers that are buying from their brokerage account is that you know is that typically like a, a, a millennial type or you know who who who, yeah, yeah. who are those i mean i guess on the one side for the private placement and get into the trust right you obviously set a standard that's it's a what a credit investors right yeah and then there's also qualified purchasers and everybody and then there's those that are coming in from their registered investment advisor correct under that private place when that qualifies. Yes. Yeah. Accredited investors is the, um, is the minimum. You mentioned qualified purchasers. Th that's a much higher standard. We don't yep. require that. So okay. anyone who's a qualified purchaser would certainly be an accredited investor. So anybody who's a credit investor come through the private placement and then they have the ability after 12 months to unlock their shares and sell them through their brokerage account. Yep. Mm -hmm. And typically- yeah, so those buyers are who that are buying those shares? The secondary market buyers, I mean, that, that could be anybody. I mean, we've talked to, you know, uh, just just retail customers uh, of all ages, but you also have, in a lot of cases, you have RIAs that, you know, a lot of people are, are used to building portfolios with certain programs or software and certain accounting systems that only handle certain types of products. And they may not have the infrastructure to buy a private placement on behalf of their, say, 500 clients that they've got. So they're looking for scalable solutions that are exchange traded. And, and so we have seen interest from advisors looking to say, okay, I want to put, you know, 1% or 2% into, you know, these 100 client accounts kind of all at once. They're going to need a solution like that rather than a privately placed accredited investors only type of product. So 
basically, in a short answer, there, there's a lot of different types of, of investors that want to trade in the secondary market, including institutional. If you count advisors as institutional investors, including institutional. So how important is it for you guys to have some kind of marketing campaign, I guess, for that secondary market to build up buyers and, and keep that liquidity available? For us, it's important to have a marketing campaign because we're relatively new and uh, just making people aware of who we are, aware that we exist, aware about our products and the, and the, you know the uh, the main features. But actually, the the supply demand dynamic for us, anyways, is to where you know our product is trading at a premium, which indicates there are already I don't want to say too many buyers. I don't want to discourage anyone from coming, but there are more buyers than there are sellers. Um, and that's because our fund is small. It's 150 million or so right now versus, you know, the potential size of interest out there. So we're just trying to keep a consistent marketing message out there. So people remember about us, know that they have options. You know, there's only been one player in the space for the longest time. So we came in, tried to cut fees drastically, partner with different service providers and just offer people a choice. So we want to make sure they remember to come stop by Osprey. That was one of my next questions is some of the differentiators that you guys have versus your competitors. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of like a, like a gold fund, a gold ETF, you, you know, you really care about the couple things like, is the gold actually there? You know, what are the fees I'm paying? How's the secondary market, et cetera. So is the, is the Bitcoin there? We partnered with Fidelity. We feel like that's a very well-known brand in, you know, retail investment America. Fidelity's probably the biggest company custodying Bitcoin right now and a trusted name. So in our trust, the Bitcoin is held by Fidelity. And that's who that's who the trust pays to safeguard those assets. Fees, you know, our 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 fund is significantly lower priced than the competition. Got a 49 basis point management fee, a few other custody fees and things that are that accrue, but all in, we don't expect those to be more than an additional 30 basis points this year, probably less. And so that's that's quite a bit lower than what's out there. And then, you know, we're a new brand. We have a new take on the space. We're trying to do things in a way that's, um, you know, built with not just end investors in mind, but also with their advisors. And we understand advisors. I, I come from an ETF background, launched over 100 ETFs and ETNs. And we know that fiduciaries care about certain things. They want to make sure that th there is transparency and there are arm's length relationships. Uh, they want products and companies that are as free of conflicts of interest as possible. And so we came at it from that perspective, trying to build uh, you know, a slightly better mousetrap there. Now, is this, do you think that these products are a way for these investment advisors to still retain all their clients a capital under management without telling them to go to the spot markets and lose that? Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a big <laughs> deal. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, advisors have been hearing and it kind of crescendos and then goes away, but in 2017, <laughs> for sure, uh, every advisor is like, get me into Bitcoin. How are you getting, you know, if you're not getting me into Bitcoin, I'm pulling my account, you know, and, and they don't want that obviously. And so giving them another option in the space, that's a bit more palatable in terms of fees and, and structure we felt was a value add to the to the advisor economy. So yeah, that back to your earlier question of why would somebody do this besides, you know, instead of buying spot Bitcoin, that's one of the reasons is because the advisor community can watch over client assets all in one bucket. The minute you pull it out, you know, and lots of people are comfortable with that. That's totally fine. If you're a self-directed customer, you know what you're doing or think you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and you want to do that? Hey, it's America, you know, I'm all for that. But a lot of people, you know, want an advisor 
to run their money or at least stand watch over it and talk them off the ledge when they feel like, you know, selling low and buying high. And so that gives the advisor a way to do that for them. And that includes their crypto holdings. We've seen some of the competitors' products lately have a uh, negative, obviously, premium or a negative to NAV trading, correct, in the markets. And it's, it's a yeah. kind of a big talk and maybe a concern. Do you think that's slowing up the appetite for these uh, trusts? I do. I do, actually. That's a new phenomenon. And our, you know, our fund has not traded at a, at a discount. And I think that that's an indicator of the supply versus demand for our product. But I know the other one has. And I think that that's, I mean, the other one's quite big at this point and probably oversupplied in terms of, you got to appreciate it's a bit of a crude situation where you create the supply a year ago. (laughs) So, you know, it's just, it's, I think it's, it's temporary. Uh, You know, our focus is um, we want to look forward. I do think an ETF is coming. I don't know exactly when, and uh, you know, you'll probably hear some more news from us in that, in that realm without uh, too much time passing. But the discount is problematic for for these products, for sure. And so do you think that the, well, at least for Bitcoin, you think the ETF is going to kind of, I guess, solve this or take take this problem out? <clears throat> the ETF will cause either products that are going to be ETFs to trade in line or products that are not going to be ETFs to fall to worse discounts. I think. So and, it depends. <laughs> what is your, I mean, it seems like everyone's filing for ETF these days, right? And or, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's like if we have 10, 20 ETFs roll out in the first 24 months, how do you think, uh, you know, the allocation goes to what and kind of what are, you know, how do you differentiate yourself and be a leader, right? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, you know, the ETF industry has not really ever seen something like this. You, you, you didn't, you never, we haven't had this. I think that there will be multiple products rolled out at the same time or very close to the same time. Unfortunately, I think what that probably means is that investors are going to be a little confused as to which which to buy. And there could be some some that sit on the sidelines and wait to see kind of kind of what takes shape there. So I, I think the take up might be a little slower than than it would have been otherwise if you have, you know, a five or seven way tie or something like that. But over time, there will be, I think, two or three that emerge as the leaders. And those will be those who have the, the best product structure, the deepest markets, uh, the lowest fees, and the best brands and distribution strategies. And do you see any other, uh, ask, from an ETF standpoint, do you think there's anything else that will be approved in a short amount of time from like Ethereum or anything? Or do you think Bitcoin's the only talk for the probably next year or something? Yeah, I think it's mainly Ethereum. I mean, mainly Bitcoin. Ethereum would be uh, the next one. I'm not sure how long that one takes. Right. Whatever, whatever they do with Bitcoin. You another know, year another or so. Year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's, that's right. exactly I mean, what I think. It's probably, probably being generous. Well, what else? Uh, let's see. What else? So we have access, you know, people could go in through the PPN, they get in through the secondary market. Uh, you know, what are some of the benefits, obviously, you know, through an IRA account from a tax standpoint? Yeah, I mean, to me, that's how I hold uh, my my Bitcoin fund exposure because you know I I don't plan to sell Bitcoin, but if I do, if for example, let's say I thought that this bull run peaked out and it's going to be another eighty percent crash, and I I feel lucky, and I'm going to do some you know some tactical selling there. Why not have that in an IRA? I mean, the gains here are potentially huge. Who wants to pay tax on that? So you know, and that's normal portfolio construction stuff where people are looking at your 
either your highest yielding products in terms of cash flows or your highest expected return products and, and where you feel you might need to be rebalancing a lot. And those are the assets you run in your tax deferred buckets versus your, your plain vanilla brokerage account. So yeah, if people can do this through IRAs, that's the best approach. And I will uh, I'll plug Alto IRA. They're a new company that we've been working with and they make things pretty easy for investors because it's not always easy to get on these platforms and, and get an accredited investor investment done through some of these IRA platforms. Those guys are pretty good. Yeah. Some of these IRA platforms, my experience has been a little, it's a little slow and <laughs> yeah. cumbersome process, not quite automated like we would like in 2021, right? right? Something to do with carrier pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, you also mentioned Fidelity as the custodian. Do they like, uh, do they ca carry insurance or kind of, you know, what protections are in place for, you know, everyone that owns shares of the trust? Yeah. So um, Fidelity does carry insurance as do most of the uh, larger custodians these days. You know, my feeling on that is, you know, insurance is going to protect a certain amount, but if you've dealt with an insurance company, it's always, it's always a little dicey. And typically these insurance policies only cover, you know, a small proportion of the assets that the firm's holding and they cover the, the hot wallet. So I'm not, I'm not speaking to Fidelity's policy per se. I'm just sort of generalizing. So that, that went to our decision to to work with Fidelity because, you know, I'm not I'm not putting any words in, in their mouth for sure, but I just I personally have the feeling that Fidelity is a big reputable company. If something were to happen that was beyond the scope of their insurance policy, okay, uh, they might be more likely and more capable of considering doing something on their own to make things right, to safeguard their own reputation than than somebody you never heard of. So yeah, that went into our analysis. Established balance sheet and brand is basically kind yeah. of, yeah, I agree there. I think as that gets more established amongst players, people will build a lot more trust in the space to utilize, you know, vendors and certain people to do things. Yeah. yeah. And so what else on, you know, we, we talked about the negative premium, but, you know, how does... How does the market solve that? Do they just stop offering the private placement for a period of time until that, that counterbalances? You know, what, what are the options there? Yeah, I think uh, I think that product's closed right now. So that's one kind of turn off the, if, if, if you've got price going down, turn off the supply, which also need to stoke demand, right? So not sure, not sure what uh, their plans are. Um, I think ultimately, you know, the ETF, like you said, solves this. I mean, I don't know that it fixes, you know, GBTC's issue, but, you know, for new investors, they'll have options that uh, where they no longer have to really worry about premiums and discounts, at least in the Bitcoin space. And do you think there's any, is there any risk to those investors that hold, hold that on secondary markets? They hold what? Like GBTC on the secondary markets or, you know, when it starts trading at a negative, do you think that's a risk? It is a risk, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, yeah, these, I, these are all the questions everyone's been asking, right? So, yeah, I, I, I got to be a little careful. For I don't know, six years there was no such thing as a discount, and now yep. there is one. And uh, you know, how long is a piece of string, right? It's how how big is the how big is a discount? Well, I mean, it's not going to get any bigger than a hundred percent. We know that, but um, you know, I could envision some some scenarios where it widens out for sure. So I do I do see that as a risk. All right. Well, as we, you know, hopefully Bitcoin ETF comes down the pipe here. And what other products 
are you looking at, you know, expanding into? Let's get into that, right? Because Bitcoin's kind of been around a little while and people are interested yeah, in those right. alternatives that might, yeah. might have a little higher multiple on them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So we are totally focused on, you know, coins two through a hundred, let's say, okay. if, you, if you look at the market cap, you know, obviously more towards two than a hundred, but there are definitely some interesting coins and projects out there that uh, we think investors want access to where no product exists, right? So we do plan to launch a number of those and we'll have announcements on our website or, you know, if, if people want to know, just subscribe to our newsletter or follow me at uh, Greg King Osprey on Twitter and we'll make announcements about those products. But, you know, like I said, I've been involved in Bitcoin since 2013, the 2017 run up and all the ICOs. I mean, there was so much noise there. I can barely keep track. And I was really focused on Bitcoin. This time around, there are, I think, a lot more credible projects on a percentage basis that are launching. And so, I mean, there's still a lot of noise, but there is, uh, there's some pretty cool stuff out there. So we're excited about the pipeline of products that, that we've got and um, that we think we can bring to investors. I think whether it's DeFi or, or proof of stake versus proof of work stuff that's happening, um, there's a lot of cool cool projects. I'll better leave it at that, but you'll definitely see more from us pretty soon. And how to engage investor appetite. Is that something in the screening process when you speak to all these different investors or investment advisors, kind of what yeah. the clients are asking for? Yeah. We, we have a very anecdotal um, way of doing it. We also have some quantitative ways to do it, but uh, we're always soliciting feedback from our uh, key investors. And, and as that group grows, uh, they're, they're a great sounding board for what's interesting out there. Now, some of these DEXs that are, you know, starting to show some cash flows or sharing them back to token holders, do you see more of a demand in that area? Because it kind of ties a little bit into the traditional world. Yeah. I, you know, one of the challenges with some of those is really if they're a security or not. So taking a step back, we have that whole analysis <laughs> we didn't talk about yet, but, you know, that's, it's a challenge, right? It's a challenge because the Bitcoin's status as a commodity or as property is pretty clearly set at this point. I think people feel pretty comfortable at ETH. But beyond that, you don't really have a whole lot of official pronouncements saying this or that. I mean, and if you go digging, you have official pronouncements saying, you know, everything else is a security. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I won't name names, but um, so we don't believe that's true, right? And, and people are digging into it on a case by case basis. There's a lot of lawyers doing a lot of work, not just for us, but just the industry problem with a lot of DeFi is, is the security piece of it. Got it. And, and kind of you're saying if there's not maybe a agreement amongst the other players that or other attorneys within the industry that it should be a pass until there's, you know, agreement. So this way, if it's ever questioned or like kind of like example, we saw ripple, right? Like, yeah, it was, it's in some people's, uh, you know, uh, offerings and all of a sudden it's all it's gone right so yeah. <laughs> like you yeah. said how do you move forward with no uh, decisive decision beyond bitcoin or you know maybe ethereum uh you know how do you how do you you know move forward yeah so ultimately we, we just have to make a judgment call you know and, it, and we just try and make sure that it's going to be a uh, a well-informed one right do our due diligence do our homework talk to people who live in this space on a day-to-day -day basis and, and try to just make sure that we're doing, uh, we're working on projects where it's gonna, we're not gonna have to 
delist Ripple, you know, 30 days later or something like that. So, yeah, but it, I mean, this is part of what makes it exciting is, is there's there's so much new ground um, that's being kind of covered here with with all these uh, coins, tokens, and projects that there's there's still many unknowns, like really basic things like what we're talking about. Is this thing a commodity or is it a security? So we'll make the best decision we can with the information we have and we'll adapt. You know, that's all you can do. Any specific assets that you're allowed to mention that kind of, you know, maybe at the front run of what may be to come? Well, I mean, I just, uh, you know, I'll give you something without giving you anything, but we're, we're obviously looking at ETH pretty closely here and then on from there. Got it. And any other types of, uh, do you see yourself doing a, like a basket of multiple cryptos within one offering? That's, yeah, that's a great question. Cause I know there are other products out there that are, that are index based. So here's my view on that. Uh, two things. One is I definitely understand ind- indexing and the need for it. And it makes a ton of sense in a lot of contexts, but I would just be a little bit cautious for two reasons. One, the the space is so new, it's really hard to know what's the best indexing approach. And you've seen that already, right? You can't take what's true in the stock market and just kind of port it over and say, hey, this is, you know, this is the S&P 500 or this is the Dow 30 or whatever. Kind of doesn't make as much sense in the crypto world. So you got to be careful there. And, and if we do an indexing product, or I should say when we do an indexing product, uh, we want to make sure we're we're rolling it out thoughtfully in terms of in terms of those constraints. The second piece is tax, and I don't think uh, people are focused on that. Uh, these products have a, a pretty horrendous tax treatment because you are doing rebalancing. You know, our Bitcoin trust is a pass through vehicle for tax purposes, and because we never sell the Bitcoin, there's really nothing uh, happening there. But when you're rebalancing, and when you're rebalancing big time, where an entire coin just gets out, you know, thrown out and you got to put a new one in and, and all that. There's a lot of movement there and the potential tax consequences are, well, they're unknowable in advance. And so I think as the kind of December 31st click through a couple of times, people are going to start to realize with some of these products that the tax side is something that they uh, need to keep a closer watch on. So we just want to be thoughtful about it, but you will see an index product or two come out. So in simple words, if you're getting into an index product where they have a basket of they're tracking a basket of the cryptos, best to do it out of the IRA, correct? <laughs> yeah, I would, I would, I would think so, yeah, for sure. All right, cool. Uh, I mean, what else would you like to leave us with in regards to the Osprey Fund or anything in particular? No, I would just encourage everyone to, to come to our website, follow us on Twitter. We we are planning a number of, of new products. Uh, we're also planning some educational webinars and things like that. If anyone has uh, feedback, please leave it at our at our website on the info box. Uh, we just want to make sure we're engaged with with clients or potential clients, and um, we want people to understand what we're all about. Which is, you know, my thing is, uh, you know, I'm I'm a big believer in free markets, and uh, what we've built in we everybody in America is the greatest you know financial markets in the world. I want it to stay that way. And I want people to have access to all kinds of investments within reason, of course. I, I'm totally good with disclosure and, and all, of the, all of the rules around that. I don't think people should be, you know, buying crazy stuff uh, on, you know, out of a chat room or anything like that. But I do, uh, I do believe that mainstream investors, you know, have a right to get access to some of these products through regular uh, brokerage accounts. And so that's, that's all we're trying to do. 
All right. And we always leave off with a, you know, a last question that hopefully helps all of our investors out there. But what is the biggest thing you've implemented in your life that has helped increase your net worth? Uh, great question. Yeah. My ne- I mean, my net worth has, um, has just been impacted by two things, building companies and uh, buying Bitcoin. So I would say that the two, if I had to point to a one rationale around success in building companies, it's, it's don't give up. And, you know, if something doesn't work this way, kind of keep trying. And then buying Bitcoin is, is don't be afraid to try something new. You know? So for everyone listening, take their extra, extra disposable cash, buy some Bitcoin and start that business up and know when to pivot, right? No one to pivot, man. Yeah. No, no one to fold them. There's no, there's no, uh, no shame in that. You got to just keep trying. I appreciate it, Greg. Uh, you know, again, where is the best way to find you? Yeah. So at Greg King Osprey is my Twitter handle. We're ospreyfunds.io, you know, because we're crypto, right? So you can't do .com. .io. Okay. All right. Osprey Funds. Thank you for Thanks. coming out again. Talk to you shortly. Thanks a lot. All right. Talk soon. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. Joe Robert Show.